Thank God today, and this is Pastor Adams, President and Founder of Truth Matters Ministries in Atlanta, Georgia. We're just so thankful and delighted that you've taken time out of your schedules to listen and join this Truth Matters podcast. And we take very seriously the charge to be host in attendance of this very vital ministry of contending for the faith that is once and for all been delivered unto the saints according to Jude 3. And today we're going to be getting into a very crucial topic entitled The Truth about lost books of the Bible. And as our tradition and our custom is, before we get into our teaching, we want to pause and pray. Father, we thank you once again for your love. We come before your presence with exceeding joy. We thank you, Lord God, that you allowed us to, Lord God, come into the Holy of Holies, and we have free access because of your blood and because of your propitiation. We thank you today, Lord God, because you've called us not just foreigners, you've not called us uh, foreigners or strangers, but you've called us friends. You've called us dear children. We thank you that you've allowed us to be members of your royal priesthood family, and for this we're glad. We glorify you, Lord God, because we know that you are the great shepherd. You feed and you provide for the sheep. We thank you that you lead and you guide us to find pasture. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that guides us, that gives us direction and power, Lord, to to reign and to flourish in this world. We thank you, Lord God, that you've given us angels that encamp around about us. Your hedge is there. We thank you that you kept us safe from the thief that goeth by night and the arrow that flieth by day. Great is thy faithfulness unto us, O God. You bless everyone who tuned into this podcast today. Let them find answers. Let, Lord, the knot of confusion and misconceptions and deceptions be unraveled. Let your truth reign. You said in your word that you shall know the truth, and the truth will make us free. Let someone be free today. Let them come to embrace your word with confidence. Let them embrace your word, Lord God, heartily, and let them walk in it. Let them, Lord, embrace it as true, abiding, and potent. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. And today we're going to be getting into a topic about the truth about the lost books of the Bible. And I think it's important that I start off and just share that I remember my experiences with friends and with co-workers who would read and they live by a book that was called the Book of Mormon. Maybe many of you today are familiar with the Book of Mormon. I'm in hotels a lot. I would see the Bible in one drawer and the Book of Mormon in another. And I was introduced to writings called the Book of Abraham, the Book of the Pearl of Great Price. And I wondered, are these writings or books from God? I heard a famous preacher who was preaching and he was delivering a sermon. And while he was preaching his sermon, he alluded and he referenced scriptures from the Book of Jashar and the Apocrypha as the source of his teachings and immediately questions arose in my heart like did I miss something when I went to church and to Sunday school about these writings that he's referencing why weren't they included in the Bible that I read every day so I made a conscious decision right then and there to study and to learn how the Bible was constructed and how to determine what are canonical or inspired writings from God See, we today at Truth Matters will prayerfully help you who are listening to navigate this important question and matter that you may be established in the truth about the inspired writings of God. Now, when we open the Bible, or let's say we open up any book, 
we see a table of contents, don't we? The contents consist of what is included in the book that we're about to read. It lists chapters, it has a prologue, it lists its authorship, and often comments of endorsement, right? Likewise, when I open the Bible, I see a basic table of contents. I see a list of books with internal references and often headings of authors and settings of authorship and dates of authorship and comments within the margins of the Bible. Now, my Bible lists Genesis and Malachi as the first and last books that God inspired in the Old Testament. Now, that's a total number of 39 books. Then, the New Testament begins with Matthew and it ends with Revelation. That's a total of 27 additional books for a total of 66 books in the entire Bible. Now, my question is, why do some Bibles have 81 books or more? Well, the answer is easy. There have been thousands of writings around the world for centuries. Some of them are poetry. Some of the writings are social literature, cultural traditions. Others were religious in scope and topic. There were writings of the Essenes, the Rosicrucians. There are writings of Ekinkar. There are writings of Taoism and Confucianism. There were writings that were found by the Babylonians and the Assyrians and the Egyptians, along with a plethora of authors and a plethora of philosophers such as Homer and Socrates and Plato and a host of others. So we at Truth Matters must ask, are their writings qualified and inspired by God? Are they intended to be God's voice? and will and purpose that governs orthodoxy and orthopraxy which really is man's conduct destiny and means to eternal salvation see that's the most important question are all of these writings are they intended by god for man to find his conduct leadership destiny and a means to obtain eternal salvation see many who see the bible with its content consisting of 66 books, they contend that there must have been other books that were inspired but are now missing from the Bible. See, many people who read or are exposed to other writings that have a similar content or a religious theme, they ask, well, is this book or writing a lost or removed book from the Bible? That seems to always be the consistent question. Now understand this, if they are not included in the Bible now, there's one reason. They did not qualify or meet the standard by God's test to be included in the Bible. Well, Pastor Adams, what are those tests? Well, it's three. The first one is called the internal evidence test. The second one is called the external evidence test. And the third is the bibliographical test. These tests built the broader discipline, which is called the canon of scripture principle. Well, what is that? Well, the word canon comes from the rule of law that was used to determine if a book measured up to a standard. See, it is important to note that the writings of scripture were not canonical or meta standard based upon anything other than the writings of scripture became immediately canonical or met the standard the moment they were written. 
See, scripture was scripture when the pen touched the parchment. See, this is very important because Christianity does not start by defining God or who Jesus Christ or what salvation is. The fundamental basic and foundation of Christianity is found in the authority of scripture, which is called sola scriptura, solely by the scriptures. Everything must be based solely by the scriptures. If we cannot identify what scripture is, then we cannot properly distinguish any theological truth from error. This is so crucial today. God answers ministry reveals the measure or the standard was used to determine which book should be classified as scripture. I think it's very important that we take a look. See, a key verse to understanding the process and the purpose and perhaps the timing of giving a scripture is found in Jude 3. What does Jude 3 say? It states that a Christian's faith was once for all times entrusted to the saints. Say it again. The Christian's faith was once and for all times entrusted to the saints. Since our faith is defined by scripture, Jude was essentially saying that scripture was given once for the benefit of all Christians. Now, isn't it wonderful to know that there are no hidden or lost manuscripts yet to be found? There are no secret books that only a familiar few can really find. There are no people who are alive who have special revelation that requires us to take this trek up the Himalayan mountain in order to meet this enlightened one. See, we can be confident that God has not left us without a witness. The same supernatural power God used to produce his word was also used to preserve it. Psalms 119 and verse 160 states that the entirety of God's word is true. Starting with the premise that we can compare writings outside of the accepted canon of scripture to see if they meet the test. As an example, the Bible claims that Jesus is God, right? Yet, many extra-biblical texts claiming to be scripture argue that Jesus is not God. You see, when clear contradictions exist, the established, inspired scriptures is to be trusted, leaving the others outside of that sphere of scripture to be cast away as counterfeits or unauthentic. See, in the early centuries of the church, Christians were sometimes put to death for possessing copies of the scriptures. Because in this, because of this persecution, the question soon came up, what books are worth dying for? Some books may have contained sayings of Jesus, but were they inspired as stated in 2 Timothy 3.16? So what happened was church councils played a role in publicly recognizing the candor of the standard of scripture. But often an individual church or groups of churches recognizing a book as inspired from its writings, according to Colossians 4 and 16, throughout the early centuries of the church, few books were ever disputed and the list was basically settled in Ano Domini 303. And when it came to the Old Testament, three important facts were considered. Number one, the New Testament, the New Testament quotes from or alludes to every Old Testament books from Old Testament books except for two. The second point, 
Jesus effectively endorsed the Hebrew canon in Matthew 23 and 35 when he cited one of the first narratives and one of the last in the scriptures of his day. The Jews were meticulous in preserving the Old Testament scriptures and they had few controversies over what parts belong or do not belong in the scriptures. The Roman Catholic Apocrypha did not measure up and fell outside the definition of scripture and has never been accepted by the Jews. See, most questions about which books belong in the Bible dealt with writings from the time of Christ and forward. The early church had some specific criteria in order for books to be considered as part of the New Testament. They included, was the book written by someone who was an eyewitness of Jesus Christ? Another one was, did the book pass the truth test, i.e., did it concur with the other already confirmed inspired scriptures? See, New Testament books, they accepted back then that have endured the test of time and the Christian orthodoxy has embraced these with little challenge for so many centuries. Confidence in the acceptance of specific books dates back to the first century recipients who offered first-hand testimony as to their authenticity. Furthermore, the end-time subject matter of the book of Revelation and this very prohibition that prohibited any adding to the words of the book argue strongly that the canon was closed at the time of its writing in Anno Domini 95. Now there is an important theological point that should not be missed. God has used his word for millennia for one primary purpose. What is that purpose, Pastor Adams? To reveal himself and to communicate to mankind Ultimately, the church councils did not decide if a book was scripture. That was decided when the human author was chosen by God to write it. In order to accomplish the end result, including the preservation of his word through the century, God guided the early church councils in their recognition of the canon. Now recently, there's been an increase in the interest in Gnostic and extra-biblical writings like the Gospel of Thomas. Much of the interest was due to the release of Dan Brown's book or the movie called The Da Vinci Code. There were ancient Gnostic writings that suggest Jesus was married to Mary Magdalene and his father children. Now these are spurious writings and they've been presented to the world as being authentic inspired writings. There are others that imply that Jesus was gay and he was he was a lover of the Apostle John. There are other writings that suggest the entire Bible was a copy from writings back in pre-centuries pre from Isis and from Horus and Egyptian deities. How do we filter and discern the wheat from the chaff? I'm going to start by examining the most popular document called the Apocrypha to exist in our distinctives. Now, what is the Apocrypha? And should the Apocrypha be included in the Bible, the 15 Apocryphal books which Roman Catholics have included in their Bibles and still use as a source of doctrine come from a collection of about 18 more books written during the intertestamental period. See, this period of 400 years began with God giving the last book of the Old Testament, which was Malachi. The intertestamental period ended with the coming of Christ and the writing of the New Testament, which was the book of Malachi. Matthew. During his four, during the, like this 400 year period, God didn't send any prophets to Israel and God was silent, giving no written revelation. Chew on that for a minute. 
Now, these apocryphal books are called non-canonical books because when the canon of Scripture, the 66 books of the Old Testament and New Testaments, was accepted by the early Christians, they recognized that these books contained spurious material and therefore were not inspired of God. Their names of these books are hidden, or what is called deuterocanonical books. These books are also called to designate them as spurious and unauthentic books of, you know, in the late centuries of uh, ABC, excuse me, of BC and AD. Now, these books contain religious folklore and have never been considered inspired of God or by the Jews or by biblical Christians from the earliest times of the churches. Some have referenced these books as missing or lost books of the Bible and conclude that they were new discoveries which are part of God's revelation. But you know what? Nothing could be further from the truth. The 66 books that comprise the Old and New Testament are God's revelation to man. And when John completed the book of Revelations, God's word to man was complete. God has not made or added any revelation since John finished the book of Revelation. The content of these spurious books shows them to be inspired not by God, but inspired by man. It is also noteworthy that the Roman Catholic Church, some cults including the Church of Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints, the Mormons, and other false churches also accept them as scripture. No biblical Christians or churches have ever accepted the Apocrypha. You know why? The fact is there are no lost books of the Bible. Now why do biblical Christians and churches reject the Apocrypha as being inspired by God? Now see, these books existed before the New Testament times. Yet there is not one single quotation from the Apocrypha in the New Testament. Hmm. Now Jesus, he quoted from 24 of the Old Testament books and the New Testament quotes from 34 books of the Old Testament. Things like it is written, terms such as thus saith the Lord are totally absent from the books of the Apocrypha. And even the apocryphal books themselves do not claim to be inspired from God. Don't forget, these books were written during the 400 silent years of God between Malachi and Matthew when God paused providing revelation through the prophets and inspired writings. Look at this. The books of 1st and 2nd Maccabees have historical significance. But when they are compared to the Bible, they are shown to not be inspired at all. They're just simply extra biblical historical records. Even though they have some historical value, these books are clouded by the contradictions that are found in the text. For example, 1st Maccabees and 2nd Maccabees, Antias Epiphanes is recorded to have died three different deaths in three different places. Lastly, only four of the apocryphal books are found in copies of the Septuagint, and these manuscript dates to the 4th century AD. But no copy of the Septuagint before the time has any apocryphal books included, and reflect, they really reflect a progression of heresy that came to Egypt. Remember, the Jews are the ones who canonized the books of the Old Testament, and they did not include the Apocrypha. They have always excluded these Apocryphal books because of their unsynchronized doctrinal content. 
Some of the gross doctrinal errors found in the Apocrypha are prayers for the dead. Praying for the dead is not biblical according to Hebrews 9 and 27. And then it, it also talks about works, which the Bible clearly states that man's salvation is not by works. It's not merited by man. It says, for by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. These are but two of the many doctrinal errors found in the books of the Apocrypha. Some of the teachings of these books are colored in and are so immoral. Apocryphal books like the book of Ecclesiasticus, no, I didn't say Ecclesiastes, I said Ecclesiasticus, and wisdom teach that morality is based on expedience. In other words, the Apocrypha teaches that it's right to sin under some situations. That's totally contrary to scripture. The Apocrypha also teaches that God created the world from manner instead of what is called ex nihilo, out of nothing. See, God created everything out of nothing according to Genesis 1 and 1 and 2. Now, these are gross historical errors that are also claimed in the book of Tobit was alive when Assyrians conquered Israel in 722 BC and when Jehoboam revolted against Judah in 931 BC. However, it records his total lifespan of 158 years. Now listen to me carefully. These two events I just mentioned were actually 859 years apart. Judith also mistakenly states that Nebuchadnezzar reigned in Nineveh instead of reigning in Babylon. There are many other gross historical errors in the book and the apocryphal books as well. Now the false doctrines include cultural and scientific errors which are contrary to the teachings of the 66 books of the Bible and it shows that the apocryphal books are not inspired by God but they're nothing but pure fiction. Now, there are other extra-biblical writings such as the Gospel of the Ebonites, there's the, the Gospel of the Nazarenes, Philip, Mary Magdalene, Judas, and Thomas, which many religious leaders cite and refer today as doctrine and uh, doctrines that we should live and practice. The question is, what is the Gospel of Thomas? We continue our exposition of non-canonical documents by examining this book, the Gospel of Thomas. The Gospel of Thomas is a Coptic manuscript discovered in the year 1945 at Nag Hammadi in Egypt. The manuscript contains 114 sayings that are attributed to Jesus. Some of these sayings resemble sayings found in the Gospels in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and other sayings are also unknown until the discovery even run counter to what was written in the four Gospels. Now, on that day in December 1945, in that particular era, they did find this book. But we need to understand this question. What is the the Gospel of Thomas and should the Gospel of Thomas be in the canon of Scripture? The early church councils followed something similar to the following principles to determine whether a New Testament book was truly inspired by the Holy Spirit. Was the author an apostle or have does he have a close connection with an apostle? Was the book being accepted by the body of Christ at large? Did the book contain consistency or doctrine and orthodox teachings? Did the book bear evidence of high moral and spiritual values that would reflect the work of the Holy Spirit? Now, the Gospel of Thomas fails in all of these tests. 
See, the Gospel of Thomas was not written by Jesus' disciple named Thomas. The early Christian leaders usually recognized the Gospel of Thomas as nothing more but a forgery. The Gospel of Thomas was rejected by the vast majority of early Christians. The Gospel of Thomas contained many teachings that are in contradiction to the biblical Gospels and the rest of the New Testament. The Gospel of Thomas does not bear the marks of the work of inspiration of the Holy Spirit either. See, one argument of precluding the Gospel of Thomas uh, being a part of the Bible is found in the overt secretness that is attributed to the 114 sayings of the work itself. Nowhere in Scripture is God's word given in secret, but is given to all people to understand. This lets us know the Gospel of Thomas is clearly a forgery because it's contrary to what is written in St. John 18 and 20. Jesus said in secret, I have said nothing. The Gospel of Thomas is a Gnostic Gospel, espousing a Gnostic viewpoint of Christianity. The Gospel of Thomas is simply a heretical forgery, much the same as the Gospel of Judas, the Gospel of Mary, the Gospel of Philip, and perhaps the disciple Thomas nickname, Doubting Thomas, is very appropriate here. We should all be doubting this Gospel of Thomas. What about another book called the Book of Jasher is known as the Book of the Upright One in the Greek Septuagint and the Book of the Just One in the Latin Vulgate. The Book of Jasher was a collection of, or a compilation of ancient Hebrew songs and poems passing or praising the heroes of Israel and their exploits in battle. The Book of Jasher is mentioned in Joshua 10, 12, and 13 when the Lord stopped the sun in the middle of the day during the battle of Beth Horon. It is mentioned in 2 Samuel 1, 18 and 27 as containing the song and layman of the bow that the mournful funeral uh, song that David composed at the time of the death of Saul and Jonathan. The question is, if the book of Jasher, you know, since it's mentioned in the Bible, why was it left out of the canon of scripture? We know that God directed the authors of scriptures to use passages from many various extra biblical sources in composing the Bible. The passage recorded in John and Joshua 10:13 is a good example. In recording this battle, Joshua included passages from the book of Jashar, not because it was the only source that occurred. Rather, he was stating in effect, oh, if you don't believe what I'm saying, then you can just read the book of Jashar. Even that book has a record of this event. This is a confirmation of the external evidence test, test to confirm the Bible's reliability. Then as we continue, there are other Hebrew works that were mentioned in the Bible that God directed the authors to use. Some of these include the book of the wars of the Lord, Numbers 21 and 14. And then the Bible is also known as, uh, we also know that Solomon composed more than a thousand songs, didn't he? Yet only two of them are preserved in the book of Psalms, Psalm 72 and 127. Written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the New Testament, Paul included a quotation from the Cretan poet uh, Epimenides in Titus 1 and 12. And he quoted from the poets Epimenides and Aratus in his speech to the, Athen, to the Athens in Acts 17 and 28. The point is, in the divine author of the Bible, he used materials chosen from 
many different sources, fitting them into his grand design for the inspired Holy Scriptures. We must understand that history is recorded in the Bible did not occur in isolation. People mentioned in the Bible interacted with other people. An example through the Bible is clear that there is only one God. The Bible mentions a number of gods that people worship both in Israel and other nations around. Similarly, Acts 17 and 28, Titus 1 and 2, we sometimes find secular writings being quoted. This does not mean that they are quoted writers were inspired. It simply means that they happened to say something that was useful to make a point or to affirm inspiration. The, the contemporary book of Jasper, Jasher, although it's not the same book mentioned in the Old Testament, it is an 18th century forgery that alleges to be a translation of the lost book of Jasher. It's a book of complete fiction. People of God. And those opponents of the real life, the reliability of scripture contained in the Bible, you need to be rest assured that God's word is trustworthy. How can I be so confident in that? Well, God made a promise to us in his word, and he promised that his word would be preserved. What does it say? Isaiah 40 and 18 assures us that the grass withers and the flower faded. But the word of the Lord will stand forever. Matthew 5 and 18 promises until heaven and earth pass away and disappear. Not the smallest letter or stroke of a pen. My words will disappear until all things are accomplished. Now today, this is the truth about the lost.